So Genesis chapter 12, so far in the book of Genesis, we've seen the fall of man and his ejection from the garden. We've also witnessed Cain murdering his brother and then covering it up, lying about it. We've seen the human race become so wicked, so corrupt, that God is forced to judge the human race by sending a flood in which he destroyed all flesh in which the breath of life was in, with the exception of eight people. And we saw that even a great man like Noah, even a great man of God like Noah could have lapses and stumble and to fall into sin. Last week we saw that it was just within a few generations of God's judgment, a few generations of that flood, that you know, man is in just widespread, open rebellion and defiance to God. And as a result, God confused the languages of the people and then he dispersed them. You know, disobedience, murder, lying, deception, drunkenness, rebellion. I mean, it's not a great way to start the story, right? We're 12 chapters into the book now. It's not a great way to start the story. But boy, doesn't it sound an awful lot like the world that we live in today? Now, though, we're going to turn a corner. Now, the book of Genesis is going to take this turn, and it's going to begin now to focus on the story of Abram, later to be known as Abraham. If I slip up, a little grace there, okay? If I slip up saying Abraham when I should say Abram, or Sarah when I should say Sarai. But anyway, we're going to turn the corner. We're focusing on Abram and his descendants. And God is... He's in the process now of preparing a nation through which the Redeemer is going to come into the world and work out God's plan of salvation. And as we noted last week, Abram, he was an idol-worshiping Gentile who was not looking for a relationship with the one true and living God when God called him. And uh, Stephen, speaking of this call that Abraham received, Acts chapter 7, said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, take a second and just think about it. Just imagine this in your mind for a minute. Abraham is this idol-worshiping Gentile. He's bowing down and praying before some lifeless image made out of a piece of wood, made out of a piece of stone, maybe fashioned into some creature, creation of God. And then the God of glory appears to him. I mean, you know, what must that look like to have the God of glory appear to you right there in your presence? Well, Isaiah when he saw the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, Woe is me. When he saw God, he was in fear for his life. He didn't think that he was going to survive that encounter. And when Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord, he saw just the likeness of the glory of the Lord. What does he say? He says, when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And when John the Revelator, when he saw the Lord, he said, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, the God of the Bible is the one true and living God. And when he appeared to this idol-worshiping Gentile, you know, I bet you there was a mess to clean up afterwards, right? I mean, God calls Abraham when he's not looking for God, not looking for a relationship with God. He's living in his sin. God calls Abraham in his amazing grace to follow him. And we pick up the story, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. And like I said last week, 
Abram doesn't fully obey God's call. He doesn't leave his family. You know, he, he grabs his nephew Lot, takes him with him. He doesn't leave his father's house. You know, he scoops up his dad and takes Terah with him. And he doesn't go to a country that God is going to show him. He doesn't go to that land that God had for him, the land of Cana. We're going to find out in a bit. But what does he do? He just moves up river and he camps there for a little bit. You would think that when the God of glory appeared to you, you know, you wouldn't hesitate to fully obey whatever he had to say. But the reality is we don't obey, do we? When God calls us, we don't always obey. We don't always respond the way we are supposed to. And I don't want you to get me wrong, okay? Look, like I said last week, partial obedience is total disobedience, okay? Abraham here, he's willing to be willing to obey. I mean, he's taking some steps. He's moving in the direction God has called him to go, the direction God is leading him. He should have done exactly what it was that God told him to do. If he had, he would have spared himself a lot of trouble if he would just have fully obeyed when God told him to do what he was to do. And we have these wasted years we talked about last year, these wasted years that just characterized Abram's life just by delay and barrenness. And I want to make a correction here, okay? Last week, I said it was 13 years. It wasn't 13 years. I apologize for that misinformation, but um, it was five years. He was stuck in a place for five years, a place of barrenness. I mean, that's all you can say. It was just, there was nothing happened, okay? But how comforting is it to see God's patience here? God is patient and long-suffering. How wonderful to see that God just doesn't discard Abram because of his failure. You know, God doesn't just wash his hands of Abram immediately and say, you know what, that's it. I've had it. You know, I'm done. You fail to obey, it's over. That's not what God does. In fact, we're going to see God patiently, lovingly working in Abram's life, bringing him to a place where Abram can exercise great faith. We're going to see God bring Abraham to a place of complete trust and obedience, right? Even to the place where Genesis 22 God asked Abraham to offer Isaac, his only son that he loves, it says, to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham had such faith by this point that he believed God was able to raise Abraham even from the dead if necessary because God had promised to bring about the blessings to the world, the Messiah, through his seed, through Isaac, the Messiah would come. But... In the meantime, okay, in the meantime, we're going to see Abram make some pretty boneheaded decisions in this chapter, right? In the course of Abraham's life, he makes a lot of bad decisions, but that's encouraging. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to the land I will show you. Again, Acts 7 tells us that that call came to Abram when he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay? It was a land that was filled with idols. They were very idolatrous. And it would appear that when Abram received this call, he was willing to take a step of faith, right? But what does he do? Instead of leaving his dad and his family, like I said earlier, he takes them with him. And being a patriarchal society, this is kind of something you got to understand as a background to the story, why Abram did what he did. Being a patriarchal society like it was then, in those days, he probably started heading out. And when they got to Haran, his dad says, enough's enough. We're going to camp right here. This is far enough. Now, Abraham, he's faced with a decision now. Is he going to follow God's instruction or... Is he going to do what his father says? Regardless of what the choices may be, 
whatever choices they are that we're faced with, if it's a decision between obedience to God and something else, obedience to God must always take precedence in our life. That always has to be the first thing that we choose because Abraham made the wrong choice, okay? He was stuck in Haran outside of God's will for his life, like I said, five years. Five years of wasted time. You know that five years, last week I said 13 years, that five years maybe felt like 13 years, 30 years. You know you know what it feels like when nothing seems to be moving forward. It's just a slog every day. You wake up, you go to work, you do your work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to bed and you repeat it, right? It's just wasted time. Now, the reason God called Abram to leave his family was because he knew the negative influence that his family would have on him. And because he failed to obey God's call in this area, like I said, Abram wastes five years of his life before finally getting moving forward, before getting started to move forward and and actually accomplishing that which the Lord has called him to do. There are difficult things in our life that God will call us to do. Some of them are extremely difficult. One of those extremely difficult things God often will call us to do is to separate ourselves from our family. God calls Abram to separate himself from his family because he knows they're unequally yoked. He knows that negative influence his family is going to have on him. Had Abram just been obedient to the Lord, man, he could have avoided so much hardship in his life, a lot of problems in his life. Had he just been obedient, Terah, Abraham's father, kept Abraham from fully obeying the Lord probably. And God calls Abram to a land that he's going to show him. And that land was for Abraham. He takes Lot into the land. The land's not for Lot, it's for Abraham. And as a result of Abraham's partial obedience and bringing Lot along with him, man, Lot just creates these serious, terrible problems for Abraham's life until finally they have to separate because they can no longer dwell in the land together. The call to separate himself from a family, you know, that's a difficult call. It's a very difficult thing. I know when God called our family to move to Europe. And I can remember God speaking to my heart and he allowed me to count the cost because he said to me, he said, Gary, what if you never see your dad again alive? Would you follow me? I mean, he was bringing me to a place to make a choice. It was difficult. It was difficult to think about that. What if I never see my dad again? You know what? We ended up walking away from our families Right? We didn't know if we would ever see our parents alive again, Tina and I. I mean, God was gracious. I was able to do my dad's funeral, see him right before he died. We were able to be there for Tina's dad right before he died. I was able to do his funeral. God was gracious to us. But, you know, he called us to leave our families. We didn't know if we'd ever see him again. But we felt in our heart that the call that God has placed on our life was greater and more important than any other thing in our life. If the Lord calls you to do something, my encouragement to you is don't delay, do it. Ignoring God's call only causes difficulties in your life, which would otherwise be totally avoidable. For most of us, if you're waiting for the approval of your family to get on with what God has called you to do, Man, you're never going to get to what God's called you to do. Our families, you know, Tina and I, when we got the call to move to Europe, our families, unintentionally, they put stumbling blocks in our way when we told them that God has called us to move to Europe. You know, again, their intent was not to discourage us, but out of concern for us, they would say things like, hey, where are the kids going to go to school? You know, if the kids marry a foreigner, we're never going to see them again. What are you guys going to eat? You know, that was a big one. What are you guys going to eat? It wasn't like we were moving to the Amazon jungle. We were moving to Europe. And, you know, there's some good food in Europe. You know, what are you guys going to eat? They were worried, hey, we're never going to see you again. Why don't you guys, they, they said this too, why don't you guys leave the kids with us and then you and Tina go? 
You know, the problem was that they didn't have a concern for God's call on our life. If we left it up to our family to vote whether or not we should go to Europe, we would have never gone to Europe. You know, our family wasn't in favor of that, but that was God's call on our life. We must reverence. We must reverence and obey God over every other thing in our life. Remember in the Gospels, there was that man that came to Jesus and he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my, uh, my dad. And uh, Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the gospel. Jesus wasn't being insensitive to the man, right, and his dead father. What the man was requesting of Jesus is, you know, let me wait until my father dies. Then I'll follow you. Jesus said, no, listen, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. You go and fulfill the call that's on your life. He was saying, you're spiritually alive. Don't allow yourself to be anchored to those that are spiritually dead. And the Bible very clearly teaches us that we're to honor and obey our parents. But when Jesus calls us, we must follow him in obedience. We need to learn to follow Jesus unreservedly, wholeheartedly, totally given over to him, without any doubt in our heart. We need to learn to follow Jesus in faith. And in doing so, you know what? We're going to see that we will have saved ourselves from so many trials and tribulations in our life just by being obedient to him. Now, God tells Abraham, get out of your country, get away from your family and from your brother's house and go to land, I'll show you. And God says, Abram, if you'll be obedient to this call that I'm placing on your life, I will bless you, right? God promises five great blessings to him. Look at verse two and three. First, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. God made Abraham a great nation. From Abraham came the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Secondly, he says, and make your name great. And God has made Abram's name great, Abraham, right? Most of the world knows Abraham as the father of the Jewish people and the father of faith. Thirdly, he says, and you, Abram, this is a great one, and you will be a blessing, right? And don't you just want to be a blessing to others? I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to my family. I want to be a blessing to this church, right? If you're obedient, man, you'll be a blessing, he says, Abram. It's through Abram's descendants, though, that the Messiah comes into the world and brings salvation into the world. Talk about a blessing. Man, Abram's a blessing that that occurred through him. He says, fourthly, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. Now, look at the nations throughout history that has opposed Israel. Anyone who wants to curse Israel should stop right here and think that idea through. Just look at what happened to Egypt. Look at what happened to Assyria, Babylon, right? It was just a short time after the Greeks came in and desecrated the altar and the temple that they were overthrown by Rome. It wasn't long after Rome, through the general Titus, sacking Jerusalem, destroying Jerusalem. It wasn't long afterwards that Rome fell. Spain was reduced to a fraction of what it was after the Inquisition against the Jews. And Germany, what? Look at them. I mean, they, they go down like a lead balloon because of how they oppressed the Jewish people, how they came against the Jewish people. And Britain, Britain lost, you know, this world-dominating empire when she broke her faith with Israel. All these nations fell or became just a shadow of what they once were because of their anti-Semitic views and their stances against Israel. Now, the Islamic nations today that seek the destruction of Israel and her people, I mean, they're not going to prosper. 
And I don't mean in any way to insinuate that, that all Muslims are against the Jewish people, because I don't believe that's true. But the nations that seek the destruction of Israel, they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of this promise here. I believe America has enjoyed greatness, great blessings from God because of their willingness to stand with Israel. And it doesn't mean, I mean, we need to understand this. It doesn't mean that Israel is a perfect nation and we need to sign off on everything they do. Like we can't be uh, critical of any of their policies. That's not what it's saying. But when we stand up for Israel's right to exist and her right to defend herself, God has promised a blessing for each one of us as we do that, and as a church as we do that, as a nation as we do that. And the fifth great blessing that God promises to Abraham says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Even though at this time it's only partial obedience, Abraham, he's going to get it together, and, and God will and has fulfilled his promises to Abraham. He says to Abraham, he says that through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everyone in the world is blessed today through Abram's obedience. It's through the Jewish people that the word of God has come. I mean, the fact that you have a Bible in your lap right now, what a blessing that is. The very word of God in your lap, available to you at any time, at any time. What a blessing that is. And the second great blessing that came to Abraham, of course, is the Messiah. He's come into the world offering a free gift of salvation to anyone who would just receive it, that would desire it. What a great blessing. These are the two great blessings that God has blessed the world with through Abraham and due to his obedience to him. Obedience always leads to blessing in our lives. Obedience always leads to blessing in our lives. And God was faithful to fulfill his promises to Abraham, and he will be faithful to fulfill the promises he has made in regards to you. You can count on it. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to come up short. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram departs from Haran, which is the obedient thing to do. But the problem again is he takes Lot, his nephew, with him. And again, they're unequally yoked. Lot is all about the flesh, as we're going to see. The most gracious verse in the Bible, I think, is 2 Peter 2, 7, where it says, Lot was a righteous man. I mean, you read the Old Testament and you think, man, that's a little bit of a stretch, maybe. But the understanding is this, 2 Peter, it's on this side of the cross. I mean, it's through the cross of Calvary that God sees Lot as a righteous person. It's this side of the cross that God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sins and failures. What does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Praise God for that. Anyway, Abram, he takes Lot with him, and Lot's all about the flesh. And Abram, he's trying, he's seeking to follow God, and problems are going to arise because he takes Lot with him. Lot is going to be nothing but trouble. I mean, I've said it already four or five times, right? He's going to be nothing but trouble, and he's going to be an inconvenience ultimately to Abram. God offers each one of us. He offers us an easy way. He offers us a hard way. If you don't want the easy way, he'll allow you to go the hard way. You know, the easy way is this. Listen, Abram, obey me. Do what I ask you to do. Leave your family. Abram, I know what I'm doing, okay? If you do what I'm asking you to do, there's blessing in it for you. I can't do what I want to do, Abram. I can't do what I want to do through you while you're with Lot. 
So you know what? You need to be obedient. Abraham, he uh, doesn't take the easy way. So there's a hard way. Disobey me. Partially obey me. And I'm going to do in you what I'm going to do. Make no mistake about it. It's going to happen, right? But this way, it's a lot more difficult. This way is filled with a lot more heartache and aggravation. God loves us just the way we are. I mean, he saves us right there where we're at and just that filth and that junk of life. He'll save us right there. He loves us just the way we are. But he loves us so much, he's not going to just leave us the way he found us. He's not going to let us just go the way we've been going. He wants to do something in our life. He's not going to let us go whichever way we think is best without putting a number of obstacles in our way in hopes that we would turn to him and cry out to him, help. But you know what? The easy way, the hard way, the choice is yours. It says Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And I want you to understand, Abraham is 75 years old when he leaves the land to go to the place that God has showed him. Okay? I mean, Abraham was 75 years old and he's going to change the world because he yields to God Almighty. He's been qualified for the Denny's discount for the last 20 years. 75 years old. And I just want to be honest. I keep, keep mentioning 75 years old. I want to let you know that God's probably not going to make a great nation out of you when you're 75 years old. But who knows what he will do in and through you if you would just yield your life to him in a fuller measure. We're never too old to be used by God to bring a blessing to this world through our obedient response to God's call on our life. You know 2 Chronicles 6, 9. You can probably quote it with me. That for the, the Lord's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those who have a loyal heart. Right? Can you guess why I love this verse so much? Uh, maybe you can't. I don't love this verse so much necessarily because of what it says. I love this verse because of what it does not say. It does not say, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a young man that he can show himself strong on behalf. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say God is looking for a man with a full head of hair. It doesn't say that, thankfully, right? And it doesn't say that he's looking for a man that has it all together. Thank God it doesn't say that. I thank God it doesn't say that because if it said any one of those things, I would be disqualified from being used by God. What it says is that God is looking for a man or a woman who has a loyal heart towards him, a man or a woman who will obey him in all that he commands. God is looking for that type of man or woman so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. You know, one of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody, he said this. It's a little bit of a controversy if D.L. Moody said it or if he repeated it, heard it from somebody else and yeah, whatever. But D.L. Moody said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him, fully given over to him, fully obedient to him is what he's saying. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man that's fully given over to God. And then D.L. Moody goes on and he says this, by God's help, I aim to be that man. Oh my goodness, you know what? I want to ask you today, why don't you be that man? Why don't you be that woman today, right here in Truckee? Why don't you be that woman in your neighborhood, that man at your work? What's keeping you back? God is looking for a man or a woman who's willing to run after him with all his heart, all her heart. Why don't we seek to be that church in this town? Totally given over to him, totally surrendered to God, nothing else of concern to us except obedience to him and to his word so that he would be able to show himself strong on our behalf. You know what? Let's pray together. Let's seek his forgiveness for not responding to him in obedience 
if that's what we need to do. Let's just humble ourselves and just be honest. God, forgive us. Let's ask him to reveal his heart to us more fully. Let's be like Samuel who said, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And the idea behind that is, Lord, whatever it is you have to say, I've already committed and I've already decided in my heart, I'm going to obey whatever it is you have to say, even before I hear it. Who knows what the Lord would do if we would say, I'm not living for this world, Lord. I'm living for you alone. If we as a church or as individuals would commit to obedience and not to place limits on on God, what he can or can't do. He's done this in the past and that's all he's ever going to do. If we would not put limits on God, if we would just go after him, in full obedience, you know what? We would be completely amazed at what God would be willing to do for us and through us. And I just want to encourage you, if you're an older person today, you know what? The youth within our church, the youth in this town, needs to see grandmas and grandpas that are just sold out for Jesus Christ. And if you're a young person in the church today, you know what? Give your heart to the Lord completely, obediently, and run for Him. Let every beat of your heart, let every breath that you breathe be for Him. Be willing to be spent for Him and see what He'll do on your behalf. You know what? You won't be sorry you made a commitment like that. Verse 5, Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they they came to the land of Canaan. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong picture in your mind here, okay? Don't picture in your mind, you know, three people on three donkeys crossing the desert. You know, in just a few chapters, we're going to read that Abraham, he's able to mount an army of 318 trained servants that were born in his household, right? Add to that number 318 men. Add to that number women and children. There's probably close to a thousand people now in this caravan that are traveling across the desert. Verse 6 says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the timber tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were there in the land. Shechem is almost smack dab in the middle of Israel. And Moreh here, it's interesting. Moreh is the Hebrew word for instruction. So Abram, he comes to this place of instruction. And it says the Canaanites were in the land. Now we're told this because it's supposed to jog our memory. We're supposed to have an understanding that the Canaanites were cursed. Remember back in Genesis chapter 9, Noah, when he was prophesying over his boys, he put a curse on Canaan. And the Canaanites, they were a very wicked, very immoral people, very idolatrous. And this is a tough neighborhood that Abram is now moving his family into. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants, don't forget, okay, at this time, Abram has no children. He has no kids. But God says to him, To your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham builds this altar and he sacrifices to the Lord. Abraham is a lover of God. We're going to see him going around making altars and worshiping the Lord. But in just a few verses, okay, we're going to see him make one of the most boneheaded decisions ever. I mean, when we get to it, you won't even believe it. You might be tempted to say, well, Abraham's just a knucklehead. But the thing is, he's not. He's not. This story is here before us as a warning to each one of us, right? We can fall into bad decisions when we fail to trust in the Lord. That's the lesson. 
verse 8, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So we see Abram, he's moving through the land now, and he's pitching his tent. He's building another altar. Abraham is a man of tents and altars, right? He goes through the land, pitching his tent, building altars. He doesn't care what other people are doing. He doesn't care, right? This is who he is. And he's going to worship the Lord openly, publicly, unapologetically, this is his testimony. This is who he is. And you know where Abraham, if you were following, you come across a spot that was just charred because of the fire from the sacrifice. You'd say, Abraham's been here, right? It's interesting to me because the places that Abraham goes are changed because of his worship. He has no reservation about openly worshiping God, displaying his relationship to God before others. That, that doesn't make him think twice at all, and nor should it make us think twice at all. It says he pitches his tent between Bethel, which means house of God. Beth means house, El, God. Bethel, the house of God. He pitches his tent between Bethel and Ai. Ai means a heap of ruin. Man, isn't that where we find ourselves camping today, right? Our tents are pitched right now here, right? We have no permanent home as believers at this time. We're pilgrims in the land, right? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we are worshiping between a house of God, heaven, <laughs> and a heap of ruin, this world. I mean, boy, is this world a heap of ruin or what? Turn on the news. <laughs> it's such a mess, right? Uh, we should li live as people who have their permanent dwelling in heaven. That should be our focus. Our, our home is in heaven, not here on the earth. But I tell you, regrettably, I, I tell you, you know, there are too many Christians who want to build their mansions here on the earth. You know, they want to settle down here and get comfortable here. They're willing to settle for less than what God has for them. Our home in, is in heaven, dear saints. We're just passing through. Our home is in heaven, and one day soon, the Lord is going to appear and take us home. Verses 9 and 10, so Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, now, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Oh, man, do you see it here? Right? Abram's in the land. He's seeking to follow God. He's worshiping the Lord openly, and there's a famine in the land. I mean, can you believe it? Can you believe that there are difficulties within God's plan for your life? Can you believe it? Well, yeah, you know what? It's not always cotton candy and gumdrops and rainbows and unicorns. I mean, that's not the way life is, right? We can face storms when we're right in the middle of God's will. But let me tell you this. There's a place that can be infinitely harder for us to live, and that's outside of God's will, right? Abram, he's facing a famine here. And it's serious, okay? He has a family to feed. People are probably dying all around him. There's no food. There's no rain. And things are looking pretty bad. And he's under a lot of pressure. So what does Abram do? Oh, Abram. He takes his eyes off of following the Lord and trusting him for his provision. And he puts his eyes squarely on the circumstances. He leans on his own understanding and he says to himself, you know what, I got to do something here. Abraham was not wrong in worrying about his family, but he was wrong in not trusting God to provide for him. You know, so what does Abraham do? He heads off to Egypt. Egypt is always a, a type of the world in the scripture. Out of motivation of fear, he starts to lean on his own understanding. He starts to try to figure things out with his own wisdom. 
He's attempting to work out the situation in his own strength. And that's when things start going south for him. I mean, can you relate? Have you been there? I have been. I have been. Abraham figures, well, you know, maybe God needs a little help here. You know, maybe he's just overlooked the seriousness of the situation. I mean, you can hear him reasoning through, right? Maybe God had a senior moment, right? He just forgot. And uh, boy, how lucky God is, though, that I'm here to help, right? I mean, from the sideline, don't you just want to, to scream out, Abram, what are you doing, right? You've been following God's instructions for your life, and now you're abandoning faith and taking matters into your own hand. Abram, what are you doing? God's called you to this place, Abram, and he's not told you to go to Egypt, right? What are you doing, Abram? Come on, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to what the Lord has shown you to do, and you'll be okay. Don't let fear move you. This is the lesson from this passage. Fear causes such danger in our lives and tempts us to take matters into our own hands. And it's always a mistake. It's always a mistake. It's always a mistake. And we need to look to God, trust in Him, be obedient to the very last thing that He told us to do, and stay put until He reveals to us the next steps that we're to take. Tina and I, we prayed for six years after God called us to go out as missionaries. I mean, we could have taken matters in our own hand, but we didn't. You know, we waited for God to open the door, and at times it seems like He was never going to open that door. We could have walked through that door. We could have opened it. We could have walked through, but we never did because I knew, we knew, that the most dangerous place we could be as a family, as a couple, as individuals, is some place that was outside of God's will for us. You know, I don't want to be on the mission field one second before God opens that door. And you know, I didn't want to stay in the States one second longer after he opened that door. I want to be in step with the Lord. Same thing about moving up here. Boy, we prayed about it. Lord, is that what you want? And we don't want to be in Southern California doing the things we think are good if God's called us here. But we don't want to be here if God has not called us here. Outside of God's will is a dangerous place to be. You know, it'll spell disaster. And being a child of God, that can be hard. Again, it doesn't need me to muddy up the waters and for me to try to take the will and gain control. You know what? I'm in a place in my walk with the Lord that I'm just happy to be along for the ride. Just let him, let him do the driving. And you know, it's funny because, you know, remember back in the day when everybody had bumper stickers on their car? Then there was that one bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Every time I see that, I would laugh because you know what I want to do is I want to yell out, Man, if God is your co-pilot, your pilot's an idiot. You better bail out right now while you have a chance before that thing goes down in a fireball. That's just me. I don't condone that method of uh, evangelism, but uh, that's just me. <laughs> right? Verse 11 says, And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance now. Sarah, she's 60 years old, man. She's been getting the Denny's discount for 10 years now, right? She's a looker. She's good looking. I mean, listen to the Jewish legend. The Jewish legend says this, that in comparison to Sarai, all other women look like monkeys. That's what it says. She was even more beautiful than Eve. I mean, you know what? That's pretty pretty, right? I mean, all the other women, their arms are up here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Get control, Gary. <laughs> anyway, verse 12. Therefore, it'll happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So it would appear in this ancient culture that adultery was viewed as a bad thing, but murder was okay, right? You know, what do you do if you see a good-looking girl and she's married? Well, hello, dummy. 
You kill him, she's suddenly single, problem solved, right? So, so it's here that things, though, they really start to pick up speed, man. Things really begin to snowball here for Abram. So Abram says, please, says to Sarai, please uh, say you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. You know, Abram's plan is this, Sarai, how about you say you're just my sister? And you know what? In fairness, Sarai was his half-sister. We're going to learn that in Genesis chapter 20. So it's a half-truth. But the problem is a half-truth is a whole lie every time. Anytime, listen carefully, anytime you're headed down a path where you think you need to lie to see something come about, well, then you're either outside of God's will for your life or you're no longer trusting in the Lord. God cannot and God will not bless a lie. God does not need our lies in order to move his plan forward. So Sarai, Abram says, tell you what, you say you're my sister. You know, they may take you into some dude's harem. You know what? You may become somebody else's property. But you know what? The bright side, I'll be okay. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he's saying. I wonder how many of you women out there would think that's a good idea. Say, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, let's do that. Verse 14. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Oh, I just, just noticed it just now. Isn't it interesting? It's almost like a, an order of importance. You know, sheep, number one, oxen, male donkeys, then male and female servants. I mean, the male donkeys appear to be more uh, important than female donkeys and camels. Now, listen, this never would have happened without an agreement between Abraham, the brother, and Pharaoh. Abraham, he starts to receive these livestock, these servants, as payment for Sarai. Because Abram took the matter in his own hands. The wheels are starting to fall off the cart now. And now he's locked into this situation. And he's not able to get himself out of this mess. And he's watching his wife being taken away. It all started with being moved by fear taking matters in his own hands. That led to lying, and then things got out of control. Now he's locked into this situation and only God can get him out of it. He's in such deep yogurt here, it's ridiculous. It's bad enough that Abram sold his wife to another man to be in his harem. I mean, it's bad enough, right? I mean, ladies, that's bad, right? Yeah, that's bad. And if that's not bad enough, though, there's actually a greater problem. He's putting God's plan for bringing the Messiah into the world through him and his wife. He's putting it into serious jeopardy now. His stunt is putting at risk this promised blessing of God to the entire world. He's put our salvation in jeopardy here. He's risking salvation for all mankind here. God doesn't want Sarah's womb to be defiled by a Gentile king, one that could claim that that child, the Messiah, actually came from his lineage. No, the descendants, the Messiah is to be a descendant of Abram and Sarah. But on the other hand, Abram's getting rich. He's getting a lot of livestock, right? How crazy is it how crazy fast this thing can just start to snowball how crazy fast we can mess things up when we get our eyes off of God and we lean on our own understanding putting our eyes on the situation what am I gonna do man I gotta do something verse 17 says but the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house 
with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So God, God has to rise up here to protect Sarai and his plan of salvation for the world. In regards to the New Testament, I find this interesting. In regards to the New Testament pointing to a woman for women today to emulate, God doesn't point to Mary. And Mary was blessed among all women, right? Who does he point to? He points to Sarai. Let me read for you from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let me read from the Amplified Bible for you, okay? It says, In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourself to them so that even if they do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense, to adore him. That is, to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, enjoy your husband. Let not yours be the merely external adorning with elaborate interweaving and noddings of the hair and wearing jewelry or changes of clothes. But let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious nor wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. For it was thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves to them as themselves secondary and dependent upon them. And this is the point, verse 6. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham, following his guidance and acknowledging his headship over her by calling him Lord, Master, Leader, Authority. And you were now her true daughters, if you do right and let nothing terrify you, nor giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxiousness unnerve you. Now, ladies, before you start writing your emails, okay, let me explain to you what Peter is saying here, okay? Interesting side note, I've never read those verses to Tina, okay, just so you know. But here, this is what Peter's saying, He's saying, even if your husband is a complete dunderhead, he's a knucklehead, he's a bonehead, even if he's a complete numbskull, just like Abram, if he asks you to do something that just doesn't sound right to you, but it isn't sin, and that's the key, it's not sin, okay? If you'll submit to his leadership, God will protect you just like he protected Sarai. He will deal with your husband also in a way that is going to be far more effective than any way that you could ever deal with him. And we're going to see that next verse, right? Verse 18 and 19, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. You know, here we see Abram, he's receiving the stinging rebuke from a pagan king. Man, have you, have you ever had a, a non-Christian rebuke you? Have you ever had a non-Christian come up to you and say, hey, that's not the way a Christian's supposed to act. Man, I'm so disappointed in you. I thought you were better than that. Maybe there is no difference between Christians in the world. Maybe you are all hypocrites. If only Abraham would have trusted God his witness would not have been compromised and he could have saved himself some tremendous embarrassment. You know, he would have saved himself this rebuke. 
Man, I've been rebuked by non-Christians before. It hurts. It hurts because they see I've not, I failed to represent the Lord the way he should be represented. So verse 20 says, So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, Abram, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram, Abraham, he should be such a tremendous encouragement to all of us. If he was perfect, we would be tempted to think, well, there's no hope for us, right? There's no way God's ever going to be able to use somebody like me. But the lesson here is the best of men are men at best. Abraham, Abram, he was a man and he was flawed. He had failures. He's just like you and I. He's a prime example of a man who believes and is growing in his walk with God, just like we are. We're growing in that walk. So many times you read about these adventures of faith, these exploits of faith that people embark on, and you might think, you know, I can't be used like that. You know, I've, I've failed. I've blown it. You know, not only have I blown it, I've blown it so many times. But the good news is this. It's good to know that Abram, he wasn't perfect, right? He's the father of faith, no less. He was imperfect. And it's good to know that, that we don't have to be perfect for God to honor us and to bless us. God blessed Abraham even when he didn't do what he should have done. And again, don't get me wrong. We should always be obedient. There's great blessings in obedience, and we spare ourselves from hardship. But God blessed Abraham even when he wasn't obedient. God continued to protect Abraham even when Abraham acted like a liar. God didn't hold back on his promises to Abraham because his promises... They weren't based on Abraham and his ability to do anything. The promises are based on God and what he's done for us. The promises God has made to each one of us, he will faithfully fulfill and he'll bring them about because it's not what we do that gives us favor with the Lord, but it's what he's done. It's what he's done for us that gives us favor in the eyes of the Lord. I just want to encourage you. Man, if you've, if you've messed up, if you've taken matters in your own hands, if you were motivated by fear, if you've lied, if you've been disobedient, you know what? Today's the day. Get right. Today's the day, man. This is the first day of the rest of your life, like the old saying says. Let's go forward from here. Let's purpose in our heart to be obedient. Let's purpose in our heart to seek the Lord with a whole heart, unreservedly, totally given over to him. Let's aim to be that man that God can use mightily. Let's do that individually. Let's do that as couples. Let's do that as a church. Let's seek God's heart. You know, if you're not a believer today, you know what? Don't get the cart in front of the horse. Don't do it. What you need to do is you need to confess your sin and you need to Ask God for forgiveness, and you need to receive from him that free gift of salvation. The Bible says, if you'll confess your sins, he'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, he'll make you a new creation. Ran out of breath there. He'll make you a new creation, right? All it takes is you need to humble yourself and agree with him you've done wrong. And you just pray in the sincerity of your own heart, God, forgive me a sinner, come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. I believe Christ died on the cross for my sin believe he was buried and the third day resurrected. Lord, give me the power to live for you. And then you know what? Read the Bible and then be obedient to it. Purpose in your heart to, to sell out your life and everything you are for Jesus Christ. And you know what? He'll bring blessing into your life too. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for the lessons that are in your word. God, I pray you speak to our hearts, Lord. Pray you minister to us, encourage us, and strengthen us, Lord, to be obedient, Lord. Let us hear your voice. Let us hear your heart. Lord, help us. Help us. We're imperfect. We need you. We need your strength. We need your spirit. Help us, Lord. God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters, just our church family, Lord. Minister to them. 
Pour out your spirit upon them. Bless them. Encourage them. Give them vision for greater service for you, Lord. Give them vision for how it is you want to use them to impact the town of Truckee for your glory, Lord. Speak to us as a church. We give you praise and glory. We thank you for your word, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.